This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and by going to warfradio.com. This week's show has an American flavour to it. We'll be catching up with the Western Bulldogs AFLW footballer recruited out of the Arizona Hawks, Danielle Marshall, and USAFL media manager, Brian Barish. But first, the latest women's footy news. First of all, we begin overseas and the United States Australian Football League has confirmed that its 2020 National Championships, which was due to be held in mid-October, have been cancelled due to coronavirus. Here's USAFL Media Manager Brian Barish. The way things are going right now with uh, the spikes in California, as, as it is in, in other parts of the country, uh, it just isn't safe. A full interview with USAFL Media Manager Brian Barish later on in the program. To AFLW news and special assistance has been granted to Richmond and West Coast for this year's AFLW draft to be held in October. Both clubs receiving an extra first round pick, this priority pick at 15 and 16 in the draft order. However, it must be traded along to another AFLW club for either Richmond or West Coast to receive an established player from that particular club. A player can also be attached from Richmond or West Coast to that deal along with the draft pick. Full details at women's.afl. To the Adelaide Crows and former South Australian state captain Courtney Cramey has announced her retirement. We'll be catching up with Courtney in next week program. And to the Brisbane Lions who have held their Best and Fairest Awards night over the last couple of days, uh, the Best and Fairest for 2020 is Emily Bates. Runner-up was Kate Luckins. And in third spot was Cathy Spark. Kate Luckins also took out the Players Player Award and Cathy Spark took out the Best First Year Player Award. The All for One Award went to Shani Webb, most relentless to Sophie Conway and most competitive to Natalie Greider. And that's your latest women's footy news. And our feature guest for this week on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast here on RSN Carnival has been a guest on our show before. In fact, last year, episode 18, we spoke with her just when she had come out to Australia with Sarah Edwards-Rona as they were trying to make their way onto an AFLW list. They were playing at Aberfeldy. And immediately after that interview, the world would turn upside down in a good way for our guest. It's great to have on the line Western Bulldogs AFLW footballer number 26, Danielle Marshall. Danny, how are you? I'm doing well, Peter. Thanks for having me. Great to have you back on the line. And I want to start with this question. It has a bit of a swerve to it. Could you imagine from when we last spoke that 14 months from now, here you'd be in Melbourne, Australia, in the middle of a stage three lockdown during a global pandemic? Uh, definitely that curveball was not on the radar. So, you know, plans change. And here we are in the middle of Melbourne in a lockdown, like you said. Safe to say the first bit of the question you would have been absolutely thrilled with. Yes, I'm in Melbourne, Australia on a semi-professional contract. But uh, for everyone, this global pandemic, safe to say, I don't think anybody was dreaming or had plans this was going to happen. Probably not. But the fact that I think... The fact that I'm in Melbourne for it is, is kind of crazy. I definitely some days have to pinch myself and remind myself I'm, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in Australia now. Like I'm not, I'm not in the US, I'm in Australia. Okay, that's weird, but here we go. 
there's a lot of things to talk about, and we'll talk about your interviews and, I guess, uh, unofficial ambassadorship for the USAFL as we get on to this interview. But let's rewind back to when we last spoke. As I said, it was uh, episode 18, 2019. Uh, you just made your debut playing two games with Aberfeldy in the one weekend, a game in Division One and a game in Division Two. And after we spoke to you in that interview, that night you were going down to the Western Bulldogs with Sarah to just have a run-through more than anything. It wasn't an official trial, by the way. It was just, can we just run around that Cameron Richardson had organised. Do you remember that first night coming down to train with the Bulldogs? Uh, Yeah, I do. It was pretty surreal. The coach didn't even know we were coming, really. Cam had worked it out through some other people, so the coach was like, I didn't even know there'd be these two other girls, and it was kind of all random and thrown together. Um, But I just remember kicking in a a group of three with a girl named Bonnie and a girl named Naomi Ferris, and I was like, who are these people? I don't even know who they are. And then, you know, a couple days later, I'm like, oh, I probably should have looked at the list of the AFL (laughs) and figured out who these people were before I went and trained. You went on down there, you did all the drills, you you impressed, you left a good impression in the minds because the one comment I actually heard back when people talk about your first training session was coachable. Do you see yourself as that, as an information sponge? Um, I think I've always really liked learning just in general, whether it be in school or in sport. Um, and I think one of the reasons I came to Australia, you know, even if I didn't get signed, was to learn and to be able to take stuff home. So I think that that was really one thing I wanted to key in on was just learning as much as I could while I was here. So I'm glad that came across. So you've done your first training session and things have fast forwarded from there. Everyone was hoping that maybe you might do some more training with the Western Bulldogs while you're out here to try and impress. And how we were talking at the time, you had three games remaining at Aberfeldy, or so we thought. Can you explain the process after that first training session in literally less than a week, you getting a Bulldogs jumper to play for the Bulldogs in the VFLW against Williamstown? Yeah, so it was basically... I did the two trainings that first week, had one more game with Aberfeldy, and then after the Tuesday training the next week, so three total trainings, they asked me um, if I wanted to play in uh, the VFL for a couple games while I, while I was still in Australia. So it was it was pretty quick. It was three trainings, an offer, and then I think it was that Wednesday night that we did the jumper presentation. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty quick. <laughs> If I call, recall correctly, I think it was number 46 was the original jumper number you were given. Um, you caught everyone by surprise because um, you showed up at the ground and when you kicked your first goal kicking towards the uh, city end, it was like, oh, hang on, that's the American that's kicked it. How did you feel and how noticeable was the step up in quality when you were playing at Aberfeldy, which is a suburban competition, to playing in the state league? Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be there's divisions for a reason and there's definitely better players in, in both divisions. I think some of it, I don't even remember much of that game because it was such a whirlwind and I was just too excited. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a step up. Um, the pressure just comes faster and all the girls are better and um, you just have to make, make decisions quicker. 
in that game, you kicked two goals. You spent about a quarter and a half uh, doing some pinch hit ruck duties as well, including impressing us at the time as we called that game with your uh, tap ruck work under lights there at uh, Point Jellybrand. And a couple of times, in fact, I think you even appeared across the half-back flank. How did you take to not only having to learn the ruck work and, and essentially try and... I know you did a bit of rucking, obviously, in the USAFL, but to try and take it to that next level in the VFLW. But also, as you said, you've only spent three training sessions with the Bulldogs trying to learn the structure and where to fit in as well. Yeah, I think luckily due to it being the beginning of the season, we kind of all were on an adrenaline high and maybe didn't have as much structure as we could have anyways. But um, yeah, I think the see ball, get ball methodology, I think worked pretty well for me that game. And it did okay because the the one thing that we mentioned in, in that, like we said, when you were at the halfback, you managed to stay in the structure, stay in your spot, follow instructions from your teammates because is it very tempting, particularly when you're playing a sport for the first time, to almost be sucked into the old, I'll just follow the ball around? Yeah, I think it can be. I think my experience playing um, soccer, which is fairly structured in the back line, and then ultimate frisbee, which which can have a very structured defense probably helped me out a little bit there just having the um you know the the background in in playing sports with a fairly structured defense probably kept me a little bit more grounded you talk about ultimate frisbee of course you wouldn't be the only player playing in the aflw with an ultimate frisbee background uh the other one would be of course uh cat phillips out of st kilda who represented australia in ultimate frisbee and uh, just ironically as you mentioned it uh for australian listeners was actually shown on espn some highlights in the audl championships over the last four years on that very side note, are you surprised more haven't actually in America for the USAFL crossed over from Ultimate Frisbee playing Aussie rules? Because there's some skills that are very similar. Um, I guess not as much just because Ultimate Frisbee is a completely non-contact sport. A lot of people play in America due to other injuries or things like that. So usually it's it's not as easy to get them to come play a contact sport. But there's definitely some similar skills in terms of especially forward leading patterns, um, you learn to work together really well um, and create that structure and create space for your teammates. So you've had your first one or two games with the Western Bulldogs and what was going to be a very short stay. Now, before you're getting ready to head back, I believe you were touring some other clubs as well. If I'm correct, you actually got to have a look at St Kilda at uh, Moorabbin? Yep. Yep, went down there, uh, spoke with Tita, did some just some trials one-on-one with her um, just to kind of see, you know, what other coaches, other clubs were like and and what they were. But, um, you know, when it came down to it, um, I really liked the experience that I had with the Bulldogs and um, was ready to commit to them by the end. It's not spoken about a lot about you looking at other clubs because, again, you took one day at St Kilda while you were down here. Carlton also offered you a contract, and we'll talk about contract signing in a moment's time. But we're interested to know, what was the feedback you got from Peter Sill? Because oh, she's obviously the coach of the Saints in the AFLW, but she's held in very high regard in women's football, particularly here in Victoria, including her five championships in a row with uh, the Darabin Falcons. Yeah, I mean, with Peter, it was... It was really great to get to work with her. She's a really sharp lady and really knows what she's looking for. Um, 
I didn't get necessarily a ton of feedback, but definitely um, looking at my potential intercept marking capabilities um, and things like that for their back line was, was on her list. Um, they just weren't quite ready by the time I left to make any kind of offer, um, formal offer. Now, before you initially headed back home, if I'm correct, I think it was the game against Geelong was your last VFLW game before having mm-hmm. to pack up and fly home. Um, do you recall the moment that they called you aside to say, we like what you do, we would like you to consider signing with us as an AFLW rookie? Yeah, it was pretty funny, actually. I got told that Mick was looking for me, but I was like in the middle of talking to some friends and then I kept talking and then I went to go find him and then he had gone to go talk to someone and it, we were kind of playing um, I don't know, phone tag, but in real life. Um, so I was, I was waiting and kind of anticipating hopefully a contract, but didn't really want to get my hopes up. And then, um, you know, sat me down and, and said, you know, they were impressed with what they had seen and they wanted to offer me a rookie contract and um, just kind of took a lot of stress off my shoulders, honestly, at that point. So there you are, you're heading back home. You have the official offer from the Western Bulldogs. And as we mentioned, St Kilda and Carlton also gave some offers. But unlike for someone here in Australia where it's, hey, just pick your club and that's it, you know, off to training we go, you've got to consider the move coming down to Australia. Now, I believe at that time you had your own laser engraving business set up there in Phoenix, Arizona. Your husband, Ryan, was working at Honeywell up there. Can you talk us through... The time it took, and I guess um, the thinking and thoughts around of, okay, are we going to pick up everything from one country and move and settle our lives in another? Yeah. So, I mean, again, like you said, for someone that lives here, it, it would kind of be an immediate, yes, dream come true, let's do this kind of thing. But for us, like we had just bought a house, Ryan had a job that he loved, I'm running a business, trying to grow it um, and everything. So we really wanted to make sure this was the right decision for us. But in the end, we just decided, hey, this is an amazing opportunity to get to, you know, travel countries, play a sport. Um, What I've just, you know, fallen in love with. And we just figured we'd really regret it if we didn't give ourselves the opportunity um, to come out here and and pursue um, me playing Australian rules football um, for as long as, you know, I can do it. So I think in the end, it just came down to, you know, we're just going to regret it if we don't give it a shot. So here we are. And around July, I think it was, is when you returned out here. Now, was that through your own inkling that, okay, I want to play a little bit more? Was it the Bulldogs requesting you come out here? How did that uh, work out for you to return to play the second half of the VFLW season? Yeah, so that was... Basically, me and I mean the Bulldogs wanted me to wanted me to come back as well. Obviously, more the more games I play, the better. Um, but that's just me knowing that you know if I want to make an impact, if I want to do anything in this sport that's really brand new to me, I'm going to need as many games under my belt as I probably can. Um, so just getting back here to play the end of the VFL season was was really important. Um, for me just to learn the game um, and to get better, especially like you said, the, the step up in level, even from Aberfeldy to State League. And then knowing, you know, from the VFL to the AFLW was going to be another step. I just wanted to get as much experience as I could. 
around that time as well, as we spoke to your coach, um, he said that he was going to throw you around a number of positions. And um, he said that he found that you're a good utility player that could play anywhere. But how difficult is that as someone new to the game where you're not told, okay, for example, you're going to be full forward and that's it. You're full forward for the rest of the year. Learn to dominate this position to as in, Almost each week, we're throwing you a different challenge and you've got to learn the different positioning and thinking behind each role. Yeah, that was definitely the biggest struggle. Um, you know, our SNCs had done a good job. You know, I was in shape. I was ready to go. I was ready to play. We'd done a lot of work on my forward craft, so I was ready to go. But, you know, when you get into the season and injuries happen, um, and they feel comfortable putting you in different places, um, getting put in the ruck, getting put at the halfback, getting put at, you know, different different positions um, every week. Just your men, your mental view of how the game is going to go gets shifted um, every time. So I think that was definitely the biggest struggle um, through the first season for me, for sure, just not knowing the game well enough to be able to smoothly transition all the time between all the different roles I was asked to play. How critical or helpful was it to play in a VFLW finals campaign before playing the high pressure of AFLW football? We talk about, of course, that game against Richmond, which was a thriller right to the end, including your mark in defence, to uh, when you knocked off the Magpies in that major semi-final. How important is that to get that um, pressure cooker exposure? Oh, I think that was, was really helpful. I mean, Richmond, obviously, a lot of those girls ended up being on the AFLW team, and then um, Collingwood as well with Jamie Lambert and um, Malloy playing um, in that grand final and in the um, in the semifinal. That was um, just really understanding what the competition would look like when we got to the next level was a really big, I think, just mental um, checkpoint for me, just knowing that that was the type of player um, that I was going to come up against and knowing where I needed to be um, when AFLW season came around. So you've completed your first VFLW season. You've ended in double digits with the goals as well. So you're starring up forward. In fact, at one stage, I even think you might have been tied in the top five of the VFLW goal kickers list as you got close towards the second half, of the back half of the season before you swung more into uh, defence. Um and you've decided to head back to America, A, to pack things up to get ready to move to Australia, but B, for the US AFL Nationals. Now, I'm keen on this question. I've spoken to you personally about it at the Nationals. Um, A, what was it like, obviously, getting um, approval from the Western Bulldogs to play in an amateur event at the US AFL Nationals? You'd be playing in Division Two. Um, but also, was there any worry about potential injury? And I preface it with this, that um, the first North American to have an AFLW contract was Kendra Hall, and unfortunately, knee injuries got the better of her. So as much as she was a Collingwood-listed player, she never actually played a game due to doing her ACL for a second time. Were there nerves of, let's get through this, we don't want an injury, we want the first North American out there playing? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely something that was discussed with the Bulldogs, um, you know, physios, SNC, and the coach, um, just whether or not that was a good idea. But um, Berkey was basically like, you know, the more footy, the better at this point. You've only been playing for a year and a half. We, we can't really tell you to not play more footy, I guess. Um, you know, you could get hurt the first practice of preseason and it wouldn't matter anyways. So, um, yeah, we, we just figured that, um, you know, monitoring um, 
and reporting to the, the physios after every game, making sure I still, you know, felt like I was up to it and wasn't getting too fatigued to keep going and um, just keep injury prevention at the top of, of my mind was kind of the rule uh, for going into the tournament. And then obviously just, um, you know, not putting myself into any situations that might <laughs> might knowingly be um, more likely to be injury. Um, yeah, cause injury. So had to be careful. We'll talk a little bit later on about um, uh, the coaching style of Nathan Burke and how it helps uh, your game. But we come into that Nationals. This is very different from your first year in 2018 where you uh, were a rookie coming in. People, I guess, wanted to know you because, oh, hey, you're the new girl. Who are you playing with? Oh, I'm playing with Arizona. To a complete flip 12 months later, here you are, the first ever player, male or female, at the United States Australian Football League that has been signed to a semi-professional Aussie Rules contract. And all of a sudden, you've got people warming around you. Yes, Aaron Phillips is there and everyone's running to Aaron Phillips, but oh my God, you're one of them and you've made it. How does it feel being the, I guess, unofficial ambassador of the USAFL and everyone wanting to know about your experience that normally you're playing against as competitors or just as teammates? Yeah, I mean, Aaron Phillips definitely still outshines me in very many ways. I was still definitely fangirling for her as well, so I don't think um, I'm quite at that level, but yeah, it's it's definitely a position where, you know, if you like being, you know, in the background, like I, I guess I would prefer it definitely um, puts you a little more in the limelight and, and you get to talk to more people and you get to tell your story 50 times, which is, which is great. Um, you know, hopefully giving people hope and, um, you know, encouragement if that's something that they're looking to do in the future. Um, and then just hopefully being a good role model for the girls, getting out, playing hard, and hopefully teaching them um, some footy as we go. And then, you know, getting to see the USAFL develop. With that and the mindset of playing, mind you, you're playing in Division 2 uh, in 2019. You were teamed up with the Philadelphia Hawks. That's your Arizona Hawks teamed up with them. And also some players from Baltimore and Boston joining you for the eventual win over the uh, DC Eagles and an absolute thriller of a women's Division 2 uh, grand final. Did you find uh, y- yourself um, very different in your mindset out in the field as in perhaps 2018 as a rookie following others' instructions to probably now finding yourself after your experience with an AFLW club out there running around at the Nationals as in you're more taking control and uh, making orders and, and setting up structure? Yeah, I would definitely say the mindset shifted. Definitely the first year was just more running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to figure out what you should be doing. And, um, you know, the first year I got... I got lucky enough to be paired with Calgary and they have some pretty experienced players on their, on their team. So that was really good for me um, the first year um, to be able to get instructions from others. And then, um, you know, getting paired with the Philly Hawks was really good because they have a few, you know, really established midfielders um, in Erica and then having Mel, um, you know, with me at, at the Hawks was, was really good, but um, just having their support and then being able to, you know, kind of know more, about how to instruct other people and and what should be going on was was definitely um, a shift in mindset for the second for the second go around. 
from your teammates' point of view, obviously besides, you know, what happens in AFLW club environment, what were they, from a football perspective, what were they trying to pick your brains on to obviously help their game and the team's game, more importantly? Honestly, I'm not really sure if we talked about that much. (laughs) I don't remember. It was, um, you know, we still had a coach. We still had someone putting us in our positions and all that kind of stuff. Um, Our goal was, um, you know, just to use our players and find open kicks. And honestly, I think that's that's kind of um, the level that we're still at there is just, just working on getting our skills right so that we can execute the handballs. Um, and the kicks to open players because a lot of times it still doesn't even get there. Um, so a lot of times it was just is encouraging them when to kick, when to handball. Um, and then hopefully in the coming years we'll start to work on a on a greater structure, uh, structured play after the skills kind of catch up. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of our interview with Western Bulldogs footballer Danielle Marshall right after this. Been playing for a while. Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. On RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app, you're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. We're chatting with the Western Bulldogs AFLW footballer that was recruited out of the Arizona Hawks, Danielle Marshall. So you've completed the Nationals. You've taken home the Women's Division Two title, the Philadelphia Hawks, Arizona Hawks, Boston and uh, Baltimore combination. You're now... Packing up everything, moving down to Australia for your first pre-season, going through a very hot Aussie summer. Um, I wanted you to compare AFLW pre-season to two things so we can get a bit of a guide. When we spoke to you last, you talked about how you played with uh, Women's Division II uh, college soccer and how you were training six days a week. How does AFLW pre-season A compare to that? And also, how much of a ramp up is it from VFLW training to AFLW pre-season training? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the major difference is just in college soccer, at least between the two, is you just get more time. You're allotted more time by um, the NCAA, so they're allowed to have you more hours a week. I think it's like 20 hours a week instead of the 10 hours a week we're allowed by the AFL. So I think that's mostly the biggest difference is just we're not allowed to train as many hours. I think the training that we do get in is on a very similar level. Um, we're just not allowed to train as much. I guess if that makes sense. Um, so it would just be the same training that we're doing. It would just be twice as long. We'd get a little bit more time for, um, I guess, whiteboard talk um, instead of just being a little bit rushed, etc. So I think I think that's the major difference between the college talk and the AFLW. Very similar intensity, just more time allotted for it. So instead of just doing one session a day, we got two sessions a day. 
um, in soccer. Um, and then between the VFL and the AFLW, um, definitely a step up. Um, the similar kind of structure as far as everything goes, but everything was just at a higher intensity. So you're doing more Ks at training. The, the fitness sessions in between field skill sessions were longer and harder, um, and the expectations were just higher. Um, and just more, you know, it's expected that your skills are already at a set level. So you, you do more complicated um, sorts of drills and you can work on things that you couldn't have worked on in VFL just because the expectation is that you're already, um, you know, at the level of skill that you need to be at to execute the more complex drills. I guess the one thing that can hold a player back, and it's not just international players, it can happen with Aussies as well, particularly when they move states, is a case of homesickness. Now, for you, you're obviously waiting for a period of time until your husband, Ryan, was going to move down and you can start your life together here in Melbourne. Um, for the Irish women, when they relocate, because there's so many of them, there was 18, including, for example, your uh, teammate, uh, Katie Heron, Ashley McCarthy, they've got uh, fellow Irish players they can share a, a house with. So all of a sudden, and of course, they can talk about home and, and things they have in common. For you, how do you try and, as being almost the lone American out here, obviously besides, as we know, friends such as Valerie Barber Axthelm, who was uh, who was uh, relocated to Melbourne, but I think April Lewis at that stage was up in Darwin. How do you try and, I guess, have some type of home life or social life um, so you're not focused on footy 24-7? Uh, yeah, so I actually found... Um, a church here rather quickly. So that became kind of my home outside of footy. So there's, I go to um, Essendon Baptist Community Church and it's about two Ks from my house currently and um, just met a lot of really good people there, met a couple younger couples and then um, was able to plug in with a couple groups there and just, and just have some community outside of footy. And that's worked for you to help uh, keep that uh, base. And, of course, that Essendon-Aberfeldy neighbourhood has really become home to you because not only when Ryan moved out here, as we spoke to Ryan off the air, um, he was actually going to take up footy himself at Aberfeldy playing, uh, I think, third. Yeah, he was going to try and get out there and run around and have a few kicks uh, with the third. So um, just it's a nice way to get involved in the community and stay in shape. So that was the plan, but obviously... Uh, no, uh, no footy. Now, normally we don't talk about other sports here because obviously we're the Women's Australian Football Podcast, but just keen to know, I believe you actually went out and saw one or two um, A-League matches. How did you find uh, the men's Australian soccer standard compared to uh, the MLS? Uh, yeah, I would say definitely the soccer here is good and, and people know what they're doing. I would say it's similar to the league that's just below the MLS for some reason, I can't remember uh, what the name I think it it's is, the United Soccer League, I think, the USL. Yeah, that one. It's the one that, um, like, Phoenix Rising plays in, which is the, the main team in Phoenix. Um, and I would say it's a pretty similar level to that. So we're counting down to the start of the season. You played one pre-season game. You did a bit of ruck work in that. How nervous were you um, waiting for the moment that Berkey was going to pick up the phone to say, game one, you're in? That was, uh, it was actually kind of funny because Berkey, um, he told us all that he'd only call the people that weren't playing. So then he, he decided that he wanted to trick some of us. So he called people that were playing, um, <laughs> as well. So you see his number pop up on the phone and 
you get a little nervous because he said he was only going to call the people that weren't playing. So um, tried to be a little bit tricky there. But, uh, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to get a phone call and I was playing. So that was pretty awesome. Before we talk about running out physically onto Moorabbin, your husband, Ryan, was there to present you with the jumper. Can you talk about that special moment, including the lyrics of the Western Bulldog song? Uh, yes. Um, well, it's a good thing Ryan knew that he was going to give me my jumper because otherwise he might have cried because um, he likes to do that, but he's adorable. So he had a he had a speech all planned, which was great and very funny. But, um, yeah, so when we were learning, like, the Bulldog song and everyone was singing it, we couldn't figure out what some of the words were because you guys don't pronounce R's in words. No, we couldn't figure out what the word snarling was for a really long time. So he kind of um, put some fun at, at that pronunciation and, and getting through the song. But, you know, we also decided that Bulldog's colors are pretty good for us, being from America with the red, white, and blue. So um, we'll, let the, uh, we'll let the accent slide, I guess. When you run out onto Moorabbin, is there a different sense of occasion, knowing that even though you played in VFLW, at most, bar the grand final, the crowds are about maybe you know 1,000 tops because it is state league level. You have maybe five or 6,000 when you play in a grand final. But you're going out onto the opposition's ground, St Kilda's home of Moorabbin. There's 8,000 people. It is a lockout. It's their first ever game in the AFLW. What is it like running out onto that type of occasion onto a field? Yeah, I mean, that was, it was pretty surreal just having the crowds there and everything. And I think it made it even bigger for us because, you know, Berkey, I mean, that's his home field, basically. He knows it better than anything. Um, so for us, it was kind of, we really wanted to win. I think, at least for me, I wanted to win for him um, just so we didn't have to uh, lose his, what I felt like was his home ground um, kind of thing. So, that was pretty crazy running out there and, and knowing that you're playing on the same field that your coach first played on um, when he started his career as well. The stage during the first quarter, Ali Blackburn's got the ball. She's at half forward, bombs it long towards the top of the square, and here you come. A few seconds later, you'll be part of the first kick, first goal club. What do you remember of that moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what Ellie was doing I now I know that she sold some candy and got around a girl and bombed one long but I think I was just running <laughs> and running and running and trying you know to get in a position that would be helpful and then um I I knew I was gonna have to gather it and I hate picking the ball up off the ground I think that was definitely the scariest part of that moment was having to pick up the ball <laughs> before I could kick it through um, and just kind of the relief when that happened and then, you know, realizing that it was a goal and I scored a goal in my first game and um, it is pretty awesome. And it, it was definitely a sense of, okay, like I can do this. Um, I belong here. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty good feeling. What's the most memorable goal out of your season? Is it that or is it the one where you kicked it into the player on the mark with the right and then got it back and then kicked it on the left? Uh, uh, they're they're both up there. I'd prefer if we forgot about the part that I kicked it into the mark and then we can just remember the part where I kicked the goal. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that one is probably the one that gets the most traction just because, um, 
yeah, I kicked it into the girl on the mark and then had to make up for it. So, um, <laughs> I think that's probably the one that I get, I joke about or get teased about the most. After that first game, um, obviously the Bulldogs have won. This is fantastic. Good way to get the year rolling. And you're in a lot of the press. You're in the Herald Sun when we open that up. You're in the Age. And because it was carried by the AAP Newswire, a lot of local newspaper websites have got the article about Danny Marshall's debut. Here's this American from Phoenix, Arizona. We spin from that over the coming weeks and months. You do a bit of media there. You do various podcasts, Outside 50, the US Footy News podcast. You would do uh, a yank on footy. You would also appear on um, the greatest season that was presents American Revolution. How do you feel, as much as we've talked about everyone swarming you at the USAFL Nationals, but now all of a sudden, like our podcast, all the other media are swarming around you of, oh my God, this American playing our game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a little bit surreal, partly just because it's for footy and not for soccer. My whole life, soccer was my kind of my identity. Um, and so to be known for something that's not soccer is still a little bit strange to me because um, that's always kind of what I was known for is being the one that played soccer. Um, so that's a little bit different. Um, yeah, and then just knowing like you kind of alluded to earlier that I am kind of the unofficial ambassador for the USAFL and what that looks like. Um, and just, you know, wanting to be a good role model for those that are looking to potentially come out here and, and pave the way for the future of Americans coming out here to lay a good groundwork and a good relationship between the USAFL and the AFLW. Um, and to just, you know, show Australians that like, yes, this is your game, but you made a pretty awesome game and, um, it only makes sense that, you know, eventually uh, people around the world are going to want to play this game too. Going through that first season, you managed to play all six games. Uh, you wouldn't settle on one position. You'd be thrown around quite a bit, including uh, playing uh, Ruck in that first game after initially starting four because Lee Moody went down with injury. In fact, there were a number of injuries at the Bulldogs. I want to talk about how Berkey coached you through that time because if we're to look just at a simple raw numbers without looking at your vision, um, good start in game one, the numbers dipped in round two and in round three, and then your numbers picked up again in round four four, five, and six. What was Berkey's communication with you and I guess um, what he was explaining he wanted you to do um, through those games and particularly trying to pick yourself back up as, again, when we look just at the raw numbers without the vision, the numbers dipped a little bit for two and three, while at the same time he's throwing you around everywhere. Yeah, I mean, basically my job once Moody went down was to be the backup rook, and that was my job um, was, was to to spell Kim Rennie when, when she needed it. So that, that became my new role and my new way um, to support the team. And, um, you know, that's what I needed to do. And that's something that I could do. And they just said, Hey, you know, we know you're a competitor, you know, we'll, we know that you'll work hard no matter where we put you. Um, so if you can, you know, do the team a favor and, um, be the backup rock for a couple games that would you know that's what we need from you so that's you know that's what i did and you did a satisfactory job of it as we said to hold your spot throughout all six games and it just seemed for the bulldogs as well before COVID 19 stopped 
the season. As much as you only had one win for the year, it seemed like the side was starting to turn the corner when it came to the back half of the season, I including uh, a, a tight one-point loss to the West Coast Eagles. And you pushed Fremantle within, I think it was 15 points in the end. So you've almost gotten away win in WA. You've pushed the top side and uh, flag favourites. It seemed like how things were tracking that maybe you could have pinched one or two more wins obviously had the full season played out. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, you know, we obviously I don't like to use it as an excuse because, you know, you can you can still do well with a young with a young side, but I mean eight of our draft picks were eighteen year olds. So we had eight eighteen year olds coming on the side and as injuries mounted they were all coming into the team and all all getting playing time and um, you know, I'd never really played at that level before. Katie Heron played every game, and, and she'd never even played a game of footy before one of our preseason games. So, you know, she's on three games for her entire life. Um, and I think just, you know, Berkey did a, the job, the best job he could have done with, with, what he was, <laughs> with what he was given, I guess. You know, we have some great 18-year-olds that came in. You know, Gabby's amazing and Lizzie and – Hannah and Britton, you know, basically all of them, you know, they were all ready to play at the level, but just getting us all together, getting us all on the same page um, and having us work together as a team, you know, that just takes time. Um, and with 11 new players on the list, um, there's going to be some, some growing pains. Uh, but yeah, I definitely think that um, once we work a few of those out, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those games definitely could have gone our way. What was the general feedback from Berkey for A, yourself, how you went your first season, but B, for all the team? Um, obviously, Berkey's plans couldn't be laid out fully or, or seen through fully because we didn't get to play round seven and eight. And there may have been a few things that he wanted to try before the season was out. But what was his feedback generally for you and for the side on his first year under his tutelage? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're all disappointed that the season didn't get to go you know, as as far as it it should have, um, and we didn't get to experience the last couple rounds and, and and get more time to work together as a team. Um, I think for me, you know, obviously being thrown around, asked to do different things. Um, that's something we're working on now, envision um, and stuff to make sure next year I am comfortable um, looking at different positions potentially, um, depending on what the team needs. So for me, just is learning the game more, um, going through vision, watching even the men's AFL and just seeing um, how different positions are, what their roles are, um, and how that kind of looks um, for me. And then obviously just, you know, I haven't played very long, so skills, just the kicks, the different, you know, learning all the different kicks you can do, not just, you know, bomb it long, stuff like that, when, when to hands, when to kick, all that kind of stuff um, that you can hopefully do solo, obviously, right now in isolation. Um, you know, drag Ryan out of the house and, and get some kicks in um, and watch film you can do alone. Um, and then just for the team, um, probably weren't as fit or as fierce as we would have liked um, to be this season. So just making sure we come into preseason with that already, already ticked um, so we can work on, um, you know, the structures and formation as a team. Let's talk about lockdown because we're actually in lockdown two here in Melbourne. The original stage three uh, lockdown happened uh, very shortly after the no, home and away season was cancelled, but then the uh, uh, new finals format was aborted after one week and we had to go straight into uh, a stage three lockdown um, nationwide. 
Um, what has been the training setup uh, for for yourself and obviously all your teammates when having to stay in isolation and you can only uh, train with um, people that are in your house so you can't go out and train as a group? What plan did the Bulldogs given to you? So obviously, A, to keep up skills, uh, B, to keep up um, either running or muscle work and uh, C, obviously, for your mental health as well so that, you know, we, we all don't get driven insane sitting at home looking at four walls. <laughs> yeah, definitely don't. Uh, it could be easy to do in ISO, get going crazy just staring at your walls. But, um, yeah, so we're really, um, you know, lucky at the Bulldogs. They've put a pretty high emphasis on their AFLW um, program. Uh, so we actually have a lot more staff um, that's currently um, on one day a week, basically, uh, for us. So we still have an SNC and a physio um, Berkey and Deb um, and our team psychologist and our team doctor are all uh, technically still on one day a week. So uh, we are able to access them and reach out to them um, if we need anything. Obviously, with the AFL rules, there's certain things they are allowed to tell us we can do and things they can't tell us to do. Um, so there's obviously a lot of, um, you know, there's a weights program and a running program that's, you know, optional, but obviously encouraged um, to help keep us um, coming back ready for the season. If we didn't have coronavirus and, and things went as normal, what were your initial plans for a, a normal 2020? Um, how many VFLW games were you hoping to uh, play? And uh, was 2020 USAFL Nationals on the cards, again, if we were in a normal world? Yeah, uh, ideally, I would have played as many VFL games as they would have let me, I suppose. Um, just for me, just being competitive and wanting to play and wanting to get better, um, you know, depending on the new rules of the VFL and how many AFL girls to play and all that. Um, basically, as many as Berkey wanted me to play, I, w I would have tried to play. Um, and then, um, yeah, I guess for the VFL, that was ideal. And then for the USAFL, um, because that is kind of our off timing, which is really convenient for me, um, I would have, I don't know if I would have played, um, but I definitely would have come home. Um, actually, in the middle of the VFL season, I would have been at the International Cup because I did get that cleared uh, with Berkey. So I would have been playing in the International Cup in a week if Corona hadn't happened. Exactly. Around this time, as we're recording, again, in a normal world, you had actually been in Maroochydore, in warmer weather. Keep that in mind, in warmer weather, <laughs> playing in the International <laughs> Cup. Yep. In about a week, I would have headed down uh, to go, or I guess up north, um, to go play in the International Cup in a nice, it was going to be a nice summer holiday get away from Melbourne um, for me, but obviously that uh, got delayed and hopefully will uh, happen next year instead. Now, obviously, the VFLW season got knocked on the head. Uh, that decision coming around uh, late June, early July. Um, a couple of weeks prior to that, some of the AFL clubs got the word that the AFLW players would not be allowed to participate in a VFLW season. Um, how did the conversation and idea then come about uh, for you to initially sign with Essendon Royals uh, playing uh, women's soccer here in Australia? Uh, yeah, that was just something I think more for my mental health than anything. Like I said, just being competitive and wanting the games, it was going to be really difficult for me to put in 
you know, three days a week of running, three days a week of lifting for basically no reward for six or seven months. Um, uh, so I, you know, I talked with SNC, talked with the physios in Berkey and just said, Hey, I think I need a, a different way of, um, you know, getting involved in, and staying involved in sport and, you know, it'll still keep me fit. It'll still keep me active. Um, I just, you know, needed something that was, you know, obviously had, we were able to have team trainings for a while and kind of more of a, a group environment rather than just doing everything on my own. Um, so that was kind of the, the background is just needing kind of a mental break from uh, some of the ISO stuff um, and kind of a sense of normalcy for at least that period of the day and, um, you know, a fun way to, to keep up with um, working out but in a, in a different setting. That looked like it was going to go. Unfortunately, uh, for those of us living in uh, the Melbourne suburban area, uh, lockdown stage three came back into play. In fact, it is so serious that um, hours after this podcast goes to air, um, we will be required to compulsorily wear uh, face masks here in Melbourne due to the uh, COVID outbreak. Um, As much as it's disappointing that you will not have sport, in a way, how pleasing is it that, okay, the, the sign-and-trade dates have been announced, the draft dates have been announced. How important is it to have a number of dates announced that, okay, even though you're, in a way, physically not doing anything, you're knowing, right, the wheels are slowly in motion to a 2021 season? Yeah, I think that's really important. I think they've, I think it's a good decision on their part to go ahead and set dates for people. Um you know, just to have that that date on the calendar in the future that you can check and say, yep, this is happening um, is, is a really nice um, mental reminder that, you know, hopefully things will go back to normal um, and that we'll be able to plan things again um, and get things scheduled and, and go ahead with the next season. Um, I think that's all kind of keeping us moving forward right now. I think without dates, it would be a, a much bigger struggle to – you know, keep rolling forward and to keep keep pushing forward, just having indefinite, um, just an indefinite structure, I guess. Two questions before we let you go. Um, the first question, which is a bit odd because we are in lockdown, but prior to all the lockdown happening, how have, how have you been enjoying Melbourne life and what has been your favourite thing about Melbourne life so far? Um, yeah, no, we, we've really, um, enjoyed it here. Uh, I think probably one of our, or one of my favorite things, um, is I love public transportation because I hate driving in cities. Um, so I do love that I can just jump on a train to Essendon station and get into the city and take a tram and and walk around the city. Um, so that's been really nice because everyone, I know people complain about it here, but I mean, in Arizona with the same population in the same land area, we only have one tram line. So um, definitely not uh, anywhere near the, the amount of public transportation that we have here. So I really appreciate that personally. Um, and then where we live, we live on really close to the Maribyrnong River. Um, so we've really enjoyed um, being able to, in ISO, just get out and walk along the river um, and have a really beautiful place to be because Phoenix doesn't really have that either. It's very desert and dry, and we don't really have that kind of... um, You can walk along a man-made concrete canal 
uh, but it doesn't quite have the same effect. So we're really enjoying that specific location um, in the city. And then when we could get out, um, you know, to more rural Victoria, we um, I was out hiking with some friends and um, just, just that is really cool. So, yeah. And our last question, like we've asked everyone who's played the game at the top level, what does it mean to you when you sit down at the computer, you type in your name, Danielle Marshall, and a Wikipedia page pops up, and here it is, Danielle Marshall, AFLW footballer. I'm typing it in right now. Let's see how I feel. <laughs> they actually have you shorter on that page, I should point out. They have you only at five foot they six do. inches. They do have me shorter. Um, we, I think whoever did the um, Wikipedia got the info from the Bulldog site before I had them change it. So it had me at 168. And I'm 173, so that's okay. I can ruck it 168, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just you know I'm as tall as Caleb Daniels at one 168. So if he can play, I can play. There you are. When it comes down to it, she's worried about the height. <laughs> Danielle Marshall, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us here on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. It's been a pleasure to chat to you again. All the very best as you uh, get ready for the 2021 AFLW season. We hope to see you running around out there again. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks, Peter. And once again, we thank Danielle very much for her time. Coming up, we'll be chatting with USAFL media manager Brian Barish, but after the break, a scoreboard check. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel, Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Coming up shortly, USAFL media manager Brian Barish. But now, let's check the scores from around the state leagues. First of all, we begin in Tasmania, who kicked off the Tasmanian State League Women's Competition for 2020. Just the one game from round one over the weekend. Launceston 3-8-26 defeated North Launceston, just the one behind. Round two action this weekend. Both games on Saturday, July 25th, both kicking off at 4pm. At Richmond Oval, it's Clarence versus Glenorchy. While at the Twin Ovals, it's the Tigers versus Launceston. Across the West Australian Football League Women's Competition, who also kicked off for 2020 last weekend and two close ones on the Saturday at David Gray's Arena. Swan Districts 8-4-52 defeated Pill Thunder 7-4-46 while Leaderville Oval Subiaco 4-6-30 defeated Claremont 4-4-28 a one-sided affair on the Sunday at Fremantle Community Bank Oval where East Frio 14-4-88 defeated South Frio no score. Round 2 action is this weekend. All games on Sunday July 26th at Fremantle Community Bank Oval 
1pm South Frio versus Peel Thunder at 2pm at Revo Fitness Stadium. This game will be live streamed. Claremont versus One Districts and at 2.15pm at New Choice Homes Park. East Frio versus Subiaco. Across to the Sanford Women's Competition Round 8 played over the weekend and the steam train that is uh, North Adelaide keeps chugging along. The Roosters 13-10-88 walloped Woodville West Torrens just the two behind. A draw between Sturt and Norwood. Sturt 3-2-20 against an inaccurate Norwood 2-8-20. So splitting the points there. At ACH Group Stadium, West Adelaide 6-7-43 defeated Central District 3-3-21. While Glenelg 3-3-21 went down to South Adelaide 6-4-40. Round 9 action is this week end and all games are on the Saturday at Thibodeau Oval, Central District versus South Adelaide at Prospect Oval. It's North Adelaide versus Sturt. The second of the doubleheader at Thebiton Oval is Norwood versus West Adelaide. And at ACH Group Stadium, it is Glenelg versus Woodville West Torrens. Across to the Bond University QAFLW competition, round five played over the weekend. It was Yoronga South Brisbane 6 8 tying with Maruchidor 7 Four. Bond University 10 12 72. Big winners over absolutely 117. Cooperoo whacked their old rivals, calling Gatta Tweed 6 6 42 to 128. While the UQ Red Lions 11 6 72 defeated Wilston Grange 4 4 28. Round 6 football this weekend. All games on Saturday, July 25th. 2 p.m. at Wilston Grange, Hickey Park. Wilston Grange versus Yoronga South Brisbane. At Giffen Park Oval, 4 45 p.m. Cooperoo versus Bond University. Also at 4.45pm at Maruchidor Oval 1, it's the Roos versus Kulingata Tweed. And at UQ Oval number 2 at 4.45pm, the UQ Red Lions versus the Apsley Hornets. And lest we not forget the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, they kicked off with round 1 over the weekend. UTS 6.642 defeating the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs 1.511. Pennant Hill Demons 5.333 defeated Sydney Uni 7547. North Shore 2719 went down to Manly Warringah 8755. Macquarie University 128 were thumped by Southern Power 13987. While the Inner West Magpies 11874 defeated the East Coast Eagles 4226. To round 2 footy in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division this weekend. All games on Saturday, July 25th. UTS versus Pennant Hills 1040am. Yep, the kicking the jaw off the grass at Trumper Park. 12.30pm at Pick and Oval, Inner West Magpies versus the North Shore Bombers. 1.30pm at Waratah Oval, it's the Southern Power versus the Manly Warringah Wolves. At Cambridge Oval, 4.50pm, East Coast Eagles versus the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. And at Sydney Uni, number one oval, it's the night match, 6.20pm, Sydney Uni versus Macquarie Uni. And that's the score checks from around the state leagues. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. He, of course, is the media manager for the United States Australian Football League, a league that hasn't been playing football like the rest of us due to COVID-19. It's great to have back on the line a new father as well in Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? <laughs> Good day, Peter. How's it going? It's great to have you back on the line. We wish it was in a circumstance where around this time of year we'd be reviewing one of the regional tournaments. 
unfortunately now football for 2020 is wiped out for the USAFL. At least on the tournament level, yes. Uh, we announced uh, last week that the 2020 USAFL Nationals uh, will not take place uh, as it was scheduled for October 10th and 11th in Ontario, California. It's the first time in the 23-year history of the USAFL that we won't be holding the tournament. Um, of course, the, the way things are going right now with uh, the spikes in California, as, as it is in, in other parts of the country, uh, it just isn't safe. And, and uh, you know, realize that the tournament is still three months out. But at the same time, this is, uh, you know, it's absolutely the right call. And I commend the, the USAFL board and the USAFL safety panel for making this decision. And of course, for those that uh, aren't regular listeners to our program, the United States Australian Football League, over 40 clubs and over 20 women's teams as well that take part across uh, two divisions for the women uh, at the United States Australian Football League Nationals as well as uh, respective uh, regional tournaments. And we should point out with the Nationals, it's not just a case of 2,000 people showing up at a park and throwing up a set of goalposts. Can you just explain uh, the, the level of detail that goes into actually preparing this tournament when it normally occurs? Well, there is, as you mentioned, uh, you know, it's not, we have men's and women's as well, and uh, it spans across six divisions. So we're, you know, we're talking forty plus teams. We have teams come down from Canada. We usually have guests from Australia come in. Uh, we've had uh, Mason Cox come the last couple of years. Aaron Phillips on the women's side as well has made the trip the last two years and has been pretty heavily involved. AFL umpires, uh, Ray Chamberlain's been there the last couple of years, along with uh, Hayden Gavine and uh, Shane McInerney as well, uh, Chris Donlin. Um, you know, dignitaries and guests of all sorts have come. Not only that, but, uh, you know, it, in terms of the location, Pete, uh, you know, the planning is gone. It goes on for more than a year. Uh, you know, we, we work with local visitors bureaus as well, uh, with local businesses and bars and sponsors and whatnot. So it's a pretty large undertaking. And, uh, you know, obviously, I, I know there was some calls to see if we could move nationals elsewhere. Uh, you know, I mentioned about how bad it is in California. It's not as bad in, in some other uh, places. However, there are more factors beyond that. And I don't know that uh, especially even with six weeks out that, uh, or rather, you know, six, seven, eight weeks out that it, it, it's a feasible, uh, that it was a feasible uh, solution at this point. And we should point out that even if the Nationals were to be held elsewhere, and this is not taking into account all the different laws in the United States, because you've got 50 states there to deal with. For example, here in Australia, in our home base in Melbourne, uh, we cannot physically travel outside the Melbourne suburban area. So even if you were to hold it, I guess, in another state, there could easily be restrictions, for example, in California, where a governor could say, well, you can't travel. Yeah, exactly. And and you don't know how it's going to be. I mean, it could be better in three months in, in October, but it, but also it could be the complete opposite direction. We just don't know. Um, and, and the other side of that is I think there is still a lot of trepidation in terms of travel. Um, you know, because of because of those re possible restrictions, but also uh, just just the um, you know the, the precautions that uh, you know travel you know uh, uh, airlines and, and other means of travel are taking or not taking. So um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Every every state has kind of had its own uh, 
decision making process in terms of how they're going to combat this and 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 it's just it's too risky at this point so again the the regionals and the nationals will not go ahead i guess there is the potential for some um uh, local rivalries to be played should obviously the um situation in certain states uh, ease yeah, and that's the plan, Pete. Uh, the the USAFL board and the and the safety panel as well have come up with a uh, a return to footy uh, rubric, which is on our website usafl.com and also all of our socials. Um, part of that is being able to return to local footy, um, and how that's going to affect uh, you know seedings or anything like that. I think is kind of secondary. You know, we we just want to get back to the point where we're playing, and if that's feasible before the end of the calendar year, uh, then then I think that that's 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 basically the goal is to get to that point. Um, obviously, the window is a little bit smaller in some places than it is in others. Uh, you know, up north, the weather is going to get colder sooner. Uh, but you know, if we're talking about maybe a situation where you know on the women's side, uh, L.A. Orange County could make the trip down to Arizona and play a game in between you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, that's certainly a possibility. So the, the goal is to keep everybody engaged. We'd like to get to the point where all the teams are able to practice safely. Uh, you know, some teams are doing that now, uh, but uh, you know, there, there is a rubric in place, and that's part of it. And I guess as well, looking a little bit ahead to 2021, dates and cities, for example, can't be locked in. It's not a simple case of, oh, we'll just postpone it 12 months because... Obviously, A, we don't know what COVID-19 is going to be looking like in 12 months. But B, more importantly, these grounds have to be booked with uh, certain cities. And plus, not only Aussie rules, all these other sports have been impacted as well. So I guess there is a mad scramble on for locations and dates. Well, yeah. And, and, it, and it's, honestly, I don't know that it's too much out, outside of the the normal, you know, because there is that, that scramble on a normal basis. But this is about the time where we are looking towards next year. And uh, the other thing that, that factors into it, Pete, of course, there's the, you know, the financial side of it and how much, you know, we're spending and how much the, the players are spending and the clubs are spending in what will be an international cup year next year. Um, that's one of the reasons why those three cities were selected, uh, Cincinnati, Denver and Dallas. Uh, is because of the fact that they're all hubs. So um, it's it's very much a uh, uh, you know a, 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 it, it's it's very similar process. Um, but uh, obviously, we're not going to know anything for a couple of months in terms of that. But the process is underway in looking at where these tournaments and the nationals as well are going to be held in 2021. And finally, before we let you go, in a season where, for, for, particularly for some teams, they may not be able to play at all, depending on the restrictions in their particular states or counties, how's recruitment been like for them during this, uh, I, I guess, lockdown? Obviously, we've seen on Twitter the USAFL 1997 account madly tweeting at anybody that tweets the words Aussie rules and, and trying to encourage them to a club. But as some state, the, the best way to recruit a player is actually having the ball in their hands at a training session and all of a sudden they're hooked. How's it been like trying to, I guess, not only bring people in, but keep the community connected while we physically can't get out there? Well, I think to the, to the first point, I think just bringing in new people has been pretty difficult for that very reason. Um, the, you know, one of, one of the reasons why we are being so aggressive on social media, I mean, we mentioned this the last time we talked, Pete, is the fact that, you know, because there are AFL games on in, and, and essentially the AFL is one of the few live sports happening in the world right now. You know, it is great to see that the, uh, that the, 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 
big networks here are taking advantage of it. ESPN and Fox are putting games on, and you know, within relatively uh, you know viewable times. You know, uh, you know, we were talking about eleven o'clock on the East Coast, eleven p.m. on the East Coast, which isn't great, but you know, there is the possibility that people will come across. But um, you're right. I mean, it's no substitute for actually getting out there with the football. But um, I think in terms of you know. The big thing is is keeping people that already are involved engaged, and uh, the clubs have all done multiple different things. Uh, you know, from Zoom calls to just like weekly, uh, you know, uh, just meetings and happy hours and things of that. Uh, social events and quizzes. I know in Philadelphia we're playing dice footy, um, which is which is a lot of fun, by the way. Um, but I also know that a lot of a, a lot of teams and a lot of uh, are doing fitness challenges and whatnot to keep everybody fit. Even even now when there's the prospect of, of no nationals and, and no season, um, just to kind of keep everybody focused and keep everybody engaged as a, as a community. Um, from a league level, we've had webinars, we've had uh, coaching webinars, uh, everything uh, with Paul Hood, for example, of the of the Geelong Cats, um, and uh, as well as uh, player seminars as well uh just just uh, uh things from like strategy sessions to lingo to all of that other stuff ray chamberlain did a webinar a couple of months ago which was absolutely fantastic um so and that's something that we're looking to continue on uh on a league level over the next couple of months and, and through the winter as we get set for what will hopefully be a full 2021 season well, Brian, thanks again for joining us here at the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival. Please stay safe and uh, hopefully you're back away again with a footy in your hands in 2021 and back down here in Australia for the International Cup. Fingers crossed this coronavirus goes away quickly. <laughs> Fingers crossed, mate. Thanks. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this podcast is available via Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Deezer, the iHeartRadio website and app, and at WARFradio.com. Or you can listen every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. And don't forget, next week, our special guest will be Courtney Cramey, the former Adelaide Crows Premiership footballer, she has just retired in the last week and we'll have her on next week's show talking all about her footy career through Morville Park and representing South Australia and playing the exhibition games as well as winning premierships with the Crows. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just go WARF Radio at the end of the address. It is simple as that. Or Google search Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week, it's bye for now.